All right, take your Bibles, make your way to Mark 1. I know, I know this is a lightning fast speed. Of course, Mark's is, Mark is a gospel of immediacy. Excuse me. Man, thank you for the pollen. Uh, but we will actually finish the first chapter of Mark. So one down, uh, 15 to go, right? So we are flying for our purposes through Mark. But we should because Mark is a fast gospel. So let me give you the context of what we're about to read today. Do you all have your Bibles open to Mark 1? We're going to start in verse 40. But let me give you the context because it's been a couple of weeks. Um, Jesus uh, heals, uh, casts out an unclean spirit in Capernaum. And then heals Peter's mother-in-law after the Sabbath meeting. And then after that... Word gets out and everybody's bringing all the sick in Capernaum to him. And he was healing people, casting out demons well into the night. And instead of sleeping in, in verse 35, he rises up when, church? Early, long while before daylight, wee hours of the morning. And he goes out to a solitary place and he prays. So that's how he refreshed himself. More than physical refreshment, he needed spiritual refreshment and he went and spent time with his father and they're looking for him so Peter finds him and says hey there the whole world's looking for you uh, we got some good momentum going here let's keep it going let's see what we can build here in Capernaum and Jesus says no I got a better idea let's go into the next towns that I can preach the gospel there because that's why I'm here I'm not here to set it up in one city I'm here to preach the gospel all over initially in uh, Galilee And the Bible says in verse 39, he was preaching in their synagogues throughout all Galilee and casting out demons. (laughs) So this is where we find Jesus. And um, he goes into all the towns preaching the kingdom of the gospel, or sorry, the gospel of the kingdom or the kingdom gospel. And if you recall, that is to repent, believe, and follow. All right. The message of that kingdom gospel was always verified by miracles. And please don't miss that. You should write that somewhere in that outline. Is that the miracles existed purely, purely to verify the kingdom gospel message. And that's what gets turned around backwards today. And so much of the, the, the false uh, miraculous services and, and, and um, things that go on in in the name of Christianity, which is truly a disgrace. It is always about the message, the message of the gospel. The kingdom is here with Christ as he comes. He's announcing the good news that I'm here. I'm bringing the kingdom with me. And here's what needs to be your response. Number one, you repent of your sin. Number two, you, you believe that I am the Messiah. And then number three, you follow me. Repent, believe, and follow He was not interested in crowds. He was not interested in a movement. He was interested in a message. But listen to this. The crowds were interested in the miracles. They endured the message in order to get the miracle. That's true. And it's still true today, isn't it? So much of the time the gospel is preached more as a self-help or get-out-of-hell free card 
That is not the gospel. So much more than that. So Jesus is on the move again. No, he leaves Capernaum and he's on the way to one of the, according to the Jewish slash Roman historian Josephus, one of the 240 towns and villages that dotted the map across the northern province of Galilee. And he's headed out of town. But as he does, somebody's watching. Someone has been watching the city from a distance, waiting for the one named Jesus to leave the town. And this one, Mark is going to tell us, is a leper. A man full of leprosy. And as Jesus leaves the town, a leper approaches him outside of the city. He is an untouchable, an outcast, a social pariah because of his disease. And he has surely overheard the rumors about a man who can deliver the demoniacs, heal the sick, and cleanse any and all who come to him. And so he risks it all. What has he got to lose? <clears throat> he pushes the boundary of the law, and he comes toward Jesus with a mixture of doubt and faith. So first, I want us to see in your outline this morning the leper's condition. The leper's condition. Write that down. He had a condition called leprosy. It comes from the Greek word lepros. And Luke's gospel tells us and the only reason I share this with you as extra content is to get a better idea of what this, where this guy was. But Luke's gospel, in Dr. Luke's account, of course being a physician, this would be in his wheelhouse. Luke says this man didn't just have leprosy. Luke says he was full of it. And one came to him full of leprosy. So he just didn't have a few white patches this man literally was missing pieces of his body. Probably had no nose. Missing parts of his ears. This man was covered and he was in the final stages. That's his condition. So let's look at the text this morning. Verse 40, the Bible says this. Now a leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling down to him, and saying to him, if you are willing, you can make me clean. The first thing I want you to see here under the condition, if you want to call it letter A, is it's not on the screen, but you can write it in as his disease in verse 40. As I said, Luke said he was full of leprosy. This is what was called Hansen's disease. And... Um, they're pretty sure that this disease originated in Egypt. What they think is one of the original forms of bacteria that produces leprosy was actually found in a mummy in Egypt. And I find that interesting in this sense. If we could all sit up and look this way. 
Egypt is always a picture of what, church, in the Bible? But specifically the world, right? Egypt is a picture of the world. How long did it take God to deliver the children of Israel out of Egypt? It just took a night, right? One night. And he delivers, he gets his children out of the world. But it took God 40 years to get the world out of his children, right? In less than 24 hours, God got the children of Israel out of Egypt. But it took 40 years to get Egypt out of his people. The world. Egypt is always a picture of the world. And isn't it interesting that leprosy, which is absolutely a picture of sin, it was a result of sin oftentimes in the Old Testament. You remember when Miriam spoke against Moses? What happened? She, she was immediately white and put outside the camp. It was, it was a result. When, when, sometimes as a, and they were considered <coughs> the most grievous of sinners. So this man's disease, the Bible says he was full of leprosy. Um, and in leprosy, the nerve endings are deadened, right? So they, lo they lose feeling. They lose feeling. Um, and as a result, um, they can injure themselves. You know, you know, pain is a gift. Amen? Why, how is pain a gift? Yeah, it lets you know something's wrong, right? And if you had no pain receptors, um, you would literally destroy your physical body. And that's what happened to these leprous people. Um, some of the uh, ancient documents tell us that these people would literally wear their feet right off of their body because they had no feeling. They could cut themselves to the bone and never know it. Why? Because the nerve endings are dead and there's no feeling there. There's a loss of sensation. I don't know, but it reminds me, as leprosy is a picture of our sin, the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 2.1, and you were dead in your trespasses and your sins. You know how you know you are dead in your sins? When it doesn't bother you to sin anymore. You don't feel the consequences of your sin. Your conscience, as the scripture says, has been seared as with a hot iron. You ever get a callus from working? It hurts at first and then there's no feeling later. That's how we are. We are dead, unable to respond to spiritual sensation of what is wrong and what is right. Does that make sense this morning? This, lep this man who is full in the last stages of this leprosy. Lepers, according to Leviticus 13, were commanded to tear their clothing into tatters. That was one of the outside signs that you knew it was a leper. They, looked, they, were, they would wear what looked like rags. And that was the visual. And then they were to cry out. When anyone came around, what were they to cry out? You remember? Unclean. Unclean. And little children were taught to throw rocks at the lepers to keep them at a distance. They were outcasts. They lived outside the city. And they were left to die with other lepers. And I'm here to tell you, other sinners can only help you continue in sin. They're, they will help you die. But they will never lead you to life. 
and flourishing. Amen? Be careful who you run with. Leprosy is a picture of sin. It deadens our conscience and we wear out our souls with our sin. And I want you to notice this too. And I, it just jumped off the page when I was studying it over the last couple of weeks. Notice, it says, now a leper came to him. You reckon this guy's got a name? Probably. Why, why do we not know it? Not important as a story. You know, what, you know what the reality was? When you got leprosy, you lost a lot of things, not the least of which was your identity. He no longer became a, he no longer was a person. He was a pariah. And all I want to tell you today, if you're not careful, sin, sin can, be, can become your identity. You ever known people to get that far in their life where their sin becomes their identity? Be careful. Be careful about putting any adjective in front of who you are. We are the children of God. We are saints. We're Christians. I'm not a white Christian. I'm not a conservative Christian. I'm not a straight Christian. I'm a Christian. Period. Amen? The disease overtook his identity. And you know, I find it interesting that these lepers were to cry out unclean. You know, that's kind of an admission of their problem, wasn't it? And what, are, what, what is the first part of the kingdom gospel that starts with an R, church? Repent, cry out, I'm unclean before you. I got a sin problem and I am powerless to fix it. Amen? It's repenting. But then there's also the, the next step, which is the believing. So I want you to notice not also letter B is his desperation. Bible says he came, now a leper, look at these next words, came to him. It was said that if you were upwind of, of a leper, the distance, the legal distance was six feet. But if you were downwind, it was 150 feet. It's dependent on where the wind was blowing. Apparently the wind was at Jesus' back. And this man comes toward him. A leper is instructed by the law of Moses to back away from those who are clean. And instead, in his desperation, this leper goes towards Jesus. And, and the Bible says he was imploring or begging him, bowing or kneeling down towards him. Luke's gospel tells us that he was prostrate on the ground. He was face first on the ground before Jesus begging him. That's humility, isn't it? We see the desperation that this man has. And what bothers me today in my own life and in the life of, 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 of the saints of this church and, and other believers that I know out in the community, we have lost the sensation of the desperate need that we have for the renewal and the cleansing of, through the blood of Jesus Christ today. 
We have become comfortable in our sin and we are literally wearing our souls out in it. He was desperate and he knew it. He knew that Jesus was his only hope. But I want you to notice this, his doubt, letter C, if you want to put that under there. Now a leper came to him. That was a big risk. His attitude is he's begging him. He bows before him, face to the ground. And he says these words, If you are willing, you can make me clean. He'd heard the rumors. He'd heard the, the commotion in the city of Capernaum. He paid attention to the conversation of those who were leaving. And he figured out there's somebody in that city who has the ability to deliver demoniacs, heal the sick. And if he, can do, if he can deliver the demoniacs and if he can heal the sick, he might be able to cleanse the leper. Now, he lived in a leper colony. Was he alone? No, he lived with other lepers. Who comes to Jesus? Just the one. Isn't that interesting? But we notice there he begins the very first word out of his mouth. And I want you to picture this about from the distance of Brian to myself. Face on the ground. What's the very first word he says to Jesus? If. If. And I looked this word up in the Greek just to make sure I was right. And it literally said in there, it is, this particular word is used in general conditions, listen, that, that imply some doubt. Some doubt. So this man had both belief and unbelief going on inside of him at the same time. Anybody can relate to that in the room today? Right? I love the, the prayer of the father coming to Jesus Asking for the healing of his child. Jesus says, hey, if you, if you believe, anything's, everything's possible. And, and what, is the, what does the honest man say? I believe, Lord, what? Help my unbelief. I'm coming to you in a mixture of doubt and faith. And aren't you glad this morning that Almighty God does not require perfect faith from you in order for him to act? This man, this man did not in any way doubt the power of the teacher. He doubted the person. Because look what he says. If you're willing, what? You can make me clean. He didn't doubt Jesus' ability. He doubted his dependability. He doubted his availability. He didn't doubt Jesus' Work. He doubted if Jesus would. It wasn't a could question, it was a would question. Jot this down in your outline, Matthew 28, 17. I never, I never saw this until some few years ago. So I was studying this out. It's it's they're on the Mount of Ascension. The last time the disciples are going to see Jesus. And by the way, it's not just the 11. There's probably 120 people up there at the top of this mountain. They see Jesus, and the Bible says, this is Matthew's account. Now, he's writing. He says, and, and we bowed down and worshipped him. 
And then he adds this commentary in there, but some doubt it. And I assert it was Matthew. Because <laughs> how would he know what others were doing? But he knew he had some doubts. I'm not sure about all this. Right? And again, aren't you glad that God does not demand perfect faith? Faith itself is a gift. So we see his doubt. And then number two, I want you to see the Lord's compassion. The Lord's compassion. It comes to him and he kneels down before him. If you're willing, you can make me clean. And boy, I hope that encourages your heart today. You ever just wonder about stuff? You ever wonder what the Lord's doing? Even in your own heart and your own life. What in the world? We are such a mixture of doubt and faith, aren't we? And aren't you glad that Jesus is willing? Amen? If, if you're willing, you can make me clean. If conditioned upon the will of God. And I'm so glad to be able to stand up here in front of you today and say that I agree with the word of God when it says, Whosoever what? Will may come. Now, how do we get willing to come? I think that's God's side of the scale. Amen? I believe we're chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. But I also believe that whosoever will may come. They asked John MacArthur, which one? They asked John MacArthur one time, do you believe in whosoever will may come or chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world? And, and, and the great preacher said, yes. <laughs> Amen? Amen. Whosoever will may come. That's how we go out with the gospel because we don't know who will, but God does. But I'm so glad today that God is willing. Matter of fact, I want you to say that with me. God is willing. And say this, God is able. Amen, church? God is both willing and he is able. And we see the why behind that right now. He is willing and he is able. What motivates this? It is nothing but the Lord's compassion. The Lord's compassion. Look at this verse, verse 41. Then, after this, and we're going to see here in a second. When we get to the next verse, not yet. But it's an immediate thing. Because Mark is nothing if not fast, right? This is the fast gospel of Mark. So as soon as the guy said, face to the ground, I imagine his hands are out in a posture of, of, uh, like you would to a king. Because, by the way, Jesus was what? A king, right? If you're willing, you can make me clean. Look what, look what the scripture says. Then Jesus, and underline this if you've got your own Bible, moved with what, church? Compassion. Moved with compassion. Aren't you glad that we serve a God who is moved with compassion? Aren't you glad that God still is moved with compassion today? Did two funerals yesterday. Very different funerals. Very different families. One had fared well in this world. The other, not so much. But you know what? They both need the compassion of the Lord. 
They're both lepers. They both need a touch of healing from the master's hand. Doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. It's the old saying, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Amen. I'm so glad that Jesus is still compassionate. The Bible says he's moved with compassion. And I want you to know what he does. Then Jesus moved with compassion. Before he says anything, look what he does. He's going to have a physical representation of his words. And I believe what probably happened, the man's probably six feet from Jesus. And Jesus does the unthinkable. That man took a risk in moving towards Jesus. Jesus took a bigger one in moving towards the man. And I'm here to tell you today, if this doesn't touch your heart when you read this, then your heart is leprous. <laughs> You're dead in your trespasses and sins, I suppose. Move with compassion. He stretched out his hand and touched him. Wait a minute. There's a law that says you don't do that. And I have heard this preached inappropriately that Jesus broke the law. Mm -mm. If, he did, if he broke the law right here, we're all going to hell. We might as well go home. Get your money back out of the offering thing. Take it with you because none of this matters. <laughs> he did not break the law. He fulfills it. How? Well, here's the deal. If that guy, after he touches him, still has leprosy, it's over. But he doesn't. We'll deal with that in a minute. He reaches out, moved by compassion, and touches him. By the way, I want to ask you, when's the last time you were moved by compassion? We see Jesus moved in two ways. He's moved by compassion, and he's moved toward the leper. Aren't you glad that Jesus is still moved by compassion? He moves towards the likes of you. Amen. Amen. Anybody, anybody thankful that Jesus will come do life with the likes of you? Goodness, what a, what a king. What a servant king. Move with compassion. Stretched out his hand and he touched him. He touches him before he says anything. And said to him, here's the audible. I'm willing. I am willing. That's the Lord's compassion. And by the way, he still is willing. Amen? And then three, I want you to see the Lord's command. Be cleansed. You see that? You see the Lord's, I am willing be cleansed. Be cleansed. So number three, the Lord's command. And we see, first of all, if you want to write it in an outline form, letter A, the leper's cleansed. How do you like that? I am willing, hand is on him somewhere. It appears that for some reason leprosy attacked the head. Almost head in the hands. 
And they said eventually um, it would cause um, swelling and it would cause the, the eyes and, and the skin around the eyes to be inflamed and there would be these deep furrows and it caused the ears to swell and fold in on themselves, oftentimes fall off. And they said the face of a leopard towards the end, and we know this guy was, looked more like a lion than a human. And yet this man is cleansed. We see in the scripture that he was fully cleansed. And whatever was wrong with him was restored. Because we serve a God of restoration. Amen? Amen? One of my favorite concepts out of the Old Testament, I believe it was Jeremiah the prophet, said, He will restore the years that the locusts have eaten. How many of you are glad that God is a God of restoration today? But then he gives them a further command. First, the leper is cleansed. And we see that sovereign love responded and sovereign power reacted. Be cleansed is an audible command. And notice he said, be cleansed. Demoniacs are delivered, the sick are healed, but look at this, lepers are cleansed. Because what are they to cry out? And sin defiles, doesn't it? We are unclean. What does Peter say to Jesus in Luke's account of Peter's call to follow Christ. Depart from me, Lord. I'm a wicked man. I'm, I'm not a good guy. I just caught all these fish. Okay, I, I've, I've been to you to Cana. I've, done so, I've, I've walked with you a little bit, but you apparently don't know who I am. Brothers and sisters, he knows who you are. <laughs> Isn't that a glorious truth this morning? I love it. As soon as he had spoken, there's his favorite word. What is it? Immediately, the leprosy, notice, underline this part. The leprosy left him. I'm going to come back to that in a second. When the leprosy leaves him, here's a question you ought to be asking. If it left him, almost like a demon, where did it go? You ought to be asking that question. Talk about that in a second. And he was what? Cleansed. When the leprosy leaves, all that's left is, is clean. Oh, listen, do you all see this similarity? you see this analogy here? Where does our sin go? Christ takes it. What is left? Christ's righteousness. We're cleansed. How many of us need to be healed? Yes, we're broken because of our sin and we need to be healed. How many of us need to be delivered from habits, hurts, and hang-ups? Yes, we are the demoniac, we are the sick, and we are the leprous. But he can fix them all because God has compassion. We see this immediately. As soon as he had spoken, the leprosy left him. That's the leper cleansed. But now I want you to see the leper is charged. Letter B. The leper is charged. Look at your scripture in verse 43. And we'll, we'll go back to the other screen in just a second. But look what he says. And he, say it with me, strictly warned him. 
and send them away at once. All right, go back to that other screen, if you would, so they can fill those in. He strictly warns him. This is an interesting word. I looked it up. I thought, that's interesting. So I pulled it up. You know what it means? It means to snort, <laughs> which is kind of weird, right? But in the context, Jesus is so kind and compassionate to this man. But then, like, like right after that, the Bible says he snorts at him. And it almost is like in anger or, or in passion to say, hey, it's like Jesus says, all right. Look at me. You obey what I'm about to tell you. This is serious. Here's the charge. Here's what I'm charging you to do. And we see the charge in the next verse. He sends him away. And he said to him, verse 44, See that you say nothing to anyone. See it? But go your way. Show yourself to who, church? The priest and offer for your cleansing those things which Moses commanded as a testimony to them. He's charged. First of all, he's negatively charged. Tell nothing to anybody. And then he's positively charged. He says, show everything to the priest. Tell nothing to anyone, but show everything to the priest. Okay, so think with me for a minute. Let's follow this. Where's this happening? What, what, outside of what city? Jesus' home base for his ministry, Capernaum. And I don't know if you're, I should have put that map up there. But on the map, Capernaum is on the north end of the Sea of Galilee, <coughs> the Lake Gennesaret there. So it's up here. 65 miles south is the capital of Palestine. You want to try it? It starts with a J. Jerusalem. Where's the priest? He's in Jerusalem. 65 miles south. And he says, don't tell anybody, but get yourself down to Jerusalem and you show everything to the priest. Why would he tell him that? And by the way, Aubrey, I thought of this when I, when I looked at it. This guy's got to walk between 60 and 70 miles. Walk. We know that he, he very well, in the latter stages of leprosy, he probably had very little ability to move. It was probably the last bit of life he had was to get to Jesus and fall on his face before him. And yet... When it says that he became clean, he was restored whole. And Jesus' healing does not come with rehab. <laughs> Amen, Aubrey? The healing of Christ does not come with rehab. You don't have to go get better. He makes you better, not a little bit, completely. Amen? And this guy has the, now the ability, the physical ability, to hike that 65, 70 miles south to Jerusalem so he can go show himself. He can say nothing to anybody but go show himself to the priest. Why? That's in the outline here. In order to fulfill the law, we see it in there. See that you say nothing to anyone but go your way. Show yourself to the priest 
and offer for your cleansing those things which Moses commanded. He's, there's some offerings he's got to offer. And, he's, and, and, and the only person that can declare him clean and healed is the priest. Right? So Jesus, as he said, I did not come to demolish the law. I came to fulfill it. He says, you do everything that the law says that you're supposed to do. There's only one guy that can confirm your cleansing, and he happens to work in Jerusalem in the temple. Go to him. Show yourself to him. Bring the sacrifices necessary as a thanksgiving to God for your healing. It's told, Dr. Paul Brand is probably the leading expert on leprosy, both historical and modern day. And it said on very, very, very rare occasions, the leprosy would burn itself out in an individual. It would just burn itself out and be, be gone. Their skin would clean up. Very rare. And they would go to the priest and the priest would declare them clean. Why the priests? Not just to fulfill the law, but to testify for the Lord. Look at the end of that verse. Bring, bring those things to offer for your cleansing, those things which Moses commanded. Look at this. As a what? Testimony to them. Who's them? Priests. He wants the priests to see that there is somebody in their midst who has the ability to cleanse the uncleansable. To raise the dead, to heal the sick, and to deliver the demoniacs. And they're going to have to deal with him. And they do. You know what they say? They cannot deny the works that verify the message. So instead they say, well, it's just the power of Satan. He's doing all this by the power of Satan. He's satanic. They were so committed to their own paradigm. Tell nothing to anybody. So we see the messianic power, but we also see the messianic purity, secondarily to the law. Jesus, did Jesus break the law in touching him? Only if he's not healed. Only if he's not healed. But he is. Why does, why does Jesus command this man not to tell anybody anything? He's in Galilee. He's going to spend a, the better part of a year, if not a full year up there. And his goal is to go to all the towns and cities and do what he's doing. Preach the kingdom gospel. Repent. The kingdom of God is here with me. Repent of your sin. Repent of your dead works. Turn away from that. Believe that I am the Messiah and follow me. Do what I tell you to do. Come do life with me. Walk in my dust. And his goal was to go to every town and do that. But I want you to notice, you can jot these verses down. Just, these are all in Mark. Just, I'm not even going to go through them, but just jot them down. 312, 543. 
7.36 and chapter 8, verses 25 to 26. These are all places just in the beginning, and there's more, where Jesus just, when He heals somebody, He says, just keep, don't tell anybody. Why would Jesus say that? Because he had, he had people He had to get to. He wanted to get this message all over Galilee. And if people found out too soon, He wouldn't be able to do that anymore. And he always told the demons to be quiet. That's the first thing he said when they would come out. They would, the, the, the demons knew who he was. And he'd say, you, you, you be quiet. He silenced, he forbade them to speak because they knew that he was the Holy One, the Son of God. And he didn't want that information out yet because he had a province to reach with the message of the kingdom gospel. So the last one I want you to see is the leper's contradiction. The leper's contradiction, verse 45. <coughs> verse 45 says, However, he went out, this is the guy, and began to proclaim it freely. He did the opposite. He contradicted what Jesus commanded. And to spread the matter... Check it out. So that Jesus could no longer openly enter the city, but was outside in deserted places. And they came to him from every direction. First of all, letter A, I want you to see that he told everyone. Jesus said, tell no one. And he turned around and what? He told everybody. Right? And again, Jesus is saying this because... He can't have his ministry growing too fast because he's got to reach the whole province. He's trying to manage it. And yet this guy contradicts the direct command of Christ. There's a lot. I don't know what to do with that. I, I heard it preached even recently um, that this was okay. I don't know if this is okay. Jesus said, don't do this, and he went and did this. I, I'm not okay with that, right, in any sense. But at the same time, can you blame him? I mean, this guy looked like a lion, pieces of his body falling off, and all of a sudden, not only is he clean, he's restored, his ears back, his nose is back, he's in great health, he can walk all the way to Jerusalem and back, no problem. And people that knew him are saying, weren't you the leper? What happened to you? Sorry, I can't tell you. How long is that going to last? Right? It appears from the text that he doesn't even try. He leaves Jesus' presence and freely tells everybody what happened. You know, I think Jesus commands us to tell everybody, doesn't he? Go you, therefore into all the world and proclaim the good news and I'm the Messiah preach the gospel to who? every creature, everyone right? baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to do all things whatsoever I commanded you go tell everybody and you know what we do? we tell nobody he said to the man tell nobody what did he do? He told everybody, we all have an obedience problem today. Amen? We're supposed to be telling everyone. 
He was supposed to be telling no one. And he in turn told everyone. We tell everyone and we tell no one. We all have an obedience problem. Someone said if you, if you can contain it, you may not have obtained it. If you can keep it to yourself, you may never have really experienced the good news. If, you, if you've heard and experienced the good news, we got to tell it. we got to share it. So he tells everyone, and now notice the result. Jesus is evicted. Look what it says. And so that it spread, he, it spread like wildfire. Now Jesus has been delivering uh, demoniacs. He's been healing the sick. But man, when he restores, when he cleanses a leper, leprosy was a death sentence. When he cleanses a leper, the leper becomes his greatest evangelist even though that's not what he was supposed to do. The leper tells everybody that news spread like wildfire, so much so that Jesus couldn't even go into cities without getting in there under the cover of disguise or night. And so he is evicted. And notice where he's evicted, but he was outside in the deserted places. That's where he started. That's where he was driven by the Holy Spirit, into the wilderness. We saw at the beginning of this day, he started in the lonely place to pray. And he's right back there before the day. He starts the day in the wilderness. He ends the day in the wilderness. Did you notice what just happened there? Jesus and the leper switched places. Because before then, the leper had to be outside the city. And now because he's been cleansed, he can go inside the city. Jesus started inside the city, but because of his fame, he now can only minister outside the city. They switch places. You may have noticed my title and wondered about it because I haven't mentioned it yet. I called it the sin-eating servant. And I know that's an odd name. In the Welsh community in Europe, they had a tradition, a perverted tradition, that actually made its way here into the Appalachian Mountains. And the Appalachian peoples practiced this until not terribly long ago. And it, there was a member of their community who was the sin eater. And this person, whether male or female, was an outcast. And what they were required to do is literally, when somebody died, they would come to the house and there was a piece of bread that would be on the face of the dead and a glass of wine in the dead person's hand. And the sin eater would eat the bread and take the cup out of the dead hand and drink the wine. And by doing so, ingest all of the sin of the dead and take condemnation into themselves so that the dead could be made right with God. And it's blasphemy. But it is a shadow of what Jesus did for us. You see, He doesn't need us to become a sin eater for another because He was our sin eater. What does that scripture say on the screen? 2 Corinthians 5.21. The kids in my 
Bible class asked me, what's, Mr. Juddle, what's your favorite verse? Without hesitation, I said 2 Corinthians 5.21. For God made him, Jesus, to be who knew no sin, to be sin for us. That we might become the righteousness of God in him. He took our sin into himself. Peter says in his epistle, he bore our sins in his body on that tree. You, you, you following this? He ingested our sin. This is the sin-eating servant. I, I asked you a question. I asked you to underline this little section in the scripture. It says, and immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Where did the leprosy go? And he who knew no sin became sin for us. Jesus healed this man. He was never infected by the leprosy because his touch and the word bore it out of him. But he bore this man's sin and he bears ours on the cross. He truly is the last sin eater. And all that we would run to him today All that we would realize how contagious our sin is. How incapable other people are to help us with that sin. And how powerful Jesus is. And he would swap places with a leper. Now the leper could go home and Jesus would go out to the lonely places. And yet that doesn't stop. Because they brought the sick to him. And the Bible says they came to him from all over. All over Galilee. So Mark's fast gospel continues. And the gospel continues for us today. And we rejoice in the fact that Christ, not just our sin bearer, but he truly was the last sin eater. He takes our sin into himself. He literally dies the eternal death in our place that we might live eternally. And brothers and sisters, if that does not move us, then we need to repent, believe, and follow all over again. Amen?